This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. A warning, this episode contains explicit language. NPR's Books We Love is full of stories. The feature rounds up fiction and nonfiction of many different kinds, and it gives you lots of ways to find what you might love, too. Today, we're diving into the category of realistic fiction, the stories that may not be literally true, but they feel true to the world that people encounter when they walk out the door. I'm Linda Holmes, and today we're talking about realistic fiction we loved on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Joining me today are two correspondents from NPR's Culture Desk. First, we have Netta Ulabi. Hey, Netta. Hey, Linda. And making her pop culture happy hour debut is Chloe Veltman. Welcome to the show, Chloe. Hi, Linda. Thanks for having me. This is so exciting. So as you may well know by now, Books We Love is NPR's sortable and explorable guide to great books recommended by real human beings inside and outside NPR. It's loaded with favorite books. And today we're looking at some of the realistic fiction you'll find on offer Netta, I'm going to start with you. What is your first pick from Books We Love? Well, I did not pick my book just because of the title, but the title is awesome. It is Didn't Nobody Give a Shit What Happened to Carlotta? It's by the author James Hanahan. And I got tipped to James Hanahan. I'm going to be completely honest. When I hosted the Penn Faulkner Book Awards in 2015, and his book won that year, it was not didn't nobody give a shit what happens to Carlotta. It was his earlier novel, Delicious Foods, which was amazing. The runner-up at the Penn Faulkner that year was the book The Sympathizer by uh, Viet Thanh Nguyen. And that book has sort of gotten, become huge, and it won the Pulitzer after that. And I feel like James Hanahan's book, um, Delicious Foods, kind of got it got lost a little bit. So when I had the chance to pick his next book, I jumped on it. I love James Hanahan's writing. And this book... I guess it's a realistic novel, but a picaresque novel is maybe a better word for it. It reminded me, it reminded me in a funny way of the novel um, A Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy O'Toole, even though in many ways it could not be more different. It's similarly manic and colorful and riotous and filled with energy. And it's uh, this kind of bon vivant of a book that that just makes you feel like you're at a party from the minute you open the front pages. And that said, it takes on very tragic and difficult topics. It's about a trans woman who's been a convict for many, many years. She's been in what she calls an incorrectional facility where there are no guards to guard the guards. And she comes back home to New York City to a family that hasn't really thought that much about her in her absence, including including her son. They don't really care that she's transitioned. She is 
grappling with the trauma of having been in prison for so long, trying to reconnect with her friends, her community, and also with a city, with New York City. And I, I suspect that part of what inspired this book was James Hanahan thinking, what must it be like for someone who has been incarcerated for decades, who's from New York City, to come back into this place that's now basically a theme park for rich people? And as Carlotta makes her way through New York City, desperately looking for fragments of the past, you get a sense of how much she's lost, but also the challenges that lie ahead of her. But she is New York City. She is the a living, breathing piece of the soul of that city. And as long as she is there, and she is there, and she's not going to go anywhere, New York City is going to be there too. All right. Thank you very much. That is Didn't Nobody Give a Shit What Happened to Carlotta by James Hanaham. All right, Chloe, what is your first pick? So um, I am talking about a book called Diary of a Void by Emi Yagi. Uh, it's a book originally written in Japanese, and the translators into English are David Boyd and Lucy North. And I have to say, before I get into this, Linda, I was inspired to read this book because of an episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour. I happened to hear my colleague Andrew Limbong mention it, um, and it just sounded so different and exciting to me that I had to pick it up, and it turned out to be just a wonderful read. I binged it in just a couple days. And this author is also a women's magazine editor in Japan. And the book deals with what it's like to be a young woman um, trying to make her way in Japan today. She's 34 years old, this main character. She's called Shibata. And she works in this dead-end job. She's the only woman there. She was sexually harassed at her previous job. She shows up in this place now, which is a company that makes cardboard tubes. <laughs> and she is tasked with doing all the grunt work. None of her colleagues bother to pick up after themselves. They don't answer the phones. And it's kind of on her to do things like make the coffee and uh, refill the ink in the printer. And at a certain point, she just decides one day that she's had enough of that. You know, she won't clear away her co-workers' dirty cups. And she says that's because she's pregnant and the smell nauseates her. However, she's not actually pregnant. She's having what I like to call a phobie, <laughs> faux baby or faby, I guess, fake baby. The, the plot basically revolves in this beautifully poetic, yet extremely, it's sort of mundane, her life. She kind of wanders around Tokyo doing this and that, going to the gym, going on long walks. But, you know, the thing about it is that her life, when she decides she's pregnant, becomes so much better. So she finds that people are actually being nice to her. And she starts to take care of herself. You know, she starts to eat healthy food and she goes to prenatal aerobics. And, you know, she lives a life of isolation, but she starts to find a bit of a community among other pregnant women. You know, I, I just loved, first of all, this kind of barking mad premise. It's also quietly subversive, a bit like it reminded me a little bit of Bartleby the Scrivener, you know, that short story by Herman Melville, where you have this character who basically quietly decides they're going to get off the bus. They're not having anything to do with the things that they're supposed to do in working life. And there's that mantra of, I would prefer not to. And this is kind of what Shibata does. She says, I would prefer not to participate in this society that expects certain things of me. It it really does ask the question in such an interesting way of what happens when you take away societal expectations like motherhood and running after men? What makes a fulfilling life? 
Well, that sounds fascinating. And now that you say you heard about this book from Andrew, I have now heard about this book from you. And I think I may pick it up also. <laughs> so thank you for that, uh, Chloe. That is Diary of a Void by Emmy Yagi. Netta, give me your second pick. All right. Well, it is a book called The Haunting of Haji Hotak and Other Stories. And I know The Haunting of Haji Hotak does not sound like realistic fiction. This is a collection of short stories. Some of them are realistic. Some of them are not. It's by a young author named Jamil John Kochai. And he was born in a refugee camp in Pakistan. Since then, has only had um, stories published in The New Yorker. This book was a finalist for the National Book Award. It just won a big literary prize from Aspen. I think that sometimes people are like, oh, short stories by an Afghan writer. This is going to be really depressing. My book club, this was their favorite thing that they read this whole year. It's a, it's so fresh. It's so vivid. It's so filled with energy and, and just incisiveness. And the title story, The Haunting of Haji Hotek, Haji Hotek is the code name given by a U.S. surveillance officer who is spying on a family. The haunting is the haunting of this Afghan-American family in Sacramento, California, by the U.S. government. It's, it's told from the perspective of the surveillance officer who is essentially haunting them, who's in their walls, who is on their roof, who's peering in their windows, who is scrutinizing their, their every motion and, and who develops, of course, a kind of relationship with the family completely unbeknownst to them. This is, this is a book that made me so happy to read partly because there's another kind of haunting that underscores every single one of the stories. And that's, of course, all of the many deaths that have happened in, in the conflict between the United States and Afghanistan and the way these countries haunt each other that is explored in, in every single one of these stories. All right. Thank you very much, Netta. That is The Haunting of Haji Hotak and Other Stories by Jamil John Kochai. All right, Chloe's second pick. All right, Linda, my second pick is a book called The Latinist. It's by Mark Prins, another debut novel that actually coincidentally has a couple of other things in common with the book I just talked about by Emmy Yagi, because both of these books coincidentally deal with the challenges of being a young, talented woman in our times. Both of the plots revolve around the theme of lies and deceit of one kind or another. I pick this book because I, I'm really enjoying the Books We Love project that we do at NPR and I, I often get suggestions of what to read from it. And I was browsing around um, this year and it was uh, our colleague Jason DeRose who had reviewed this particular book and it just sort of spoke to me. It turned out to be just the most fantastic, brainy, potboiler, thriller, mystery. It's set at a fictional Oxford college called West Failing. And the book centres around this hot, young academic on the verge of greatness. Her name is Tessa Templeton. She's American. She's originally from Florida. And her specialty is studying obscure Roman poets. She uh, is about to get her PhD in as far as it's possible to have a a brilliant career as, as a scholar of classics. She's on the road to that. Of course, we all know that it's extremely hard to actually get a job in that field. But anyway, the plot kicks into gear when she gets this email from an anonymous sender. And it says, quote, you may want to reconsider asking Christopher Eccles for a recommendation letter in the future. Christopher Eccles is her creep of a, a mentor. He's a don of classics, a big major professor of classics at Oxford University, and she's trusted him entirely. 
But it turns out he's been doing all these sorts of nefarious things behind his students' back. Turns out that the reasons for this is because he's in love with her. And we learn this uh, very near the start of the novel. You have this omnipotent narrator, sort of voice of God narrator. So we know exactly what's going on with our heroine, but she doesn't. So you're on the seat of your pants throughout this book, wondering what on earth is going to happen to Tessa. Is she going to be able to understand the awful things that this man has done to her? The whole thing is couched in classical mythology and running through this whole story, you have the myth from Ovid of Apollo and Daphne. And Apollo the god pursues the nymph Daphne and she's trying to refuse his advances. And in order to kind of outwit him in the end, she gets turned into a laurel tree. So there's these kind of parallels between this cat and mouse game that's going on between the two characters in this book too, Tessa the student, Christopher her professor. The end of the book is just this most amazing kind of something out of Agatha Christie ending. It's it's tremendous. I couldn't put it down. Super fun and uh, very seat of your pantsy. All right. I love it. Uh, so that is The Latinist by Mark Prince. And, you know, I always get so much from listening to people's recommendations, and the only issue is always that I want to read all the books and I don't have time. So in a way, it makes things harder when there are so many good recommendations, but I'm glad that we keep doing this. And if you want to discover even more books NPR loves, visit npr.org slash bestbooks. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks for being here, Chloe and Netta. Thank you, Linda. Thanks, Linda. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathima and Mike Katzeff and edited by Jessica Reedy. The Books We Love team is Beth Novi, Natalie Escobar, Maureen Powell, and Megan Collins-Sullivan. Hello Come In provides our theme music. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. When you book through Capital One Travel using the Venture X Card, you earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights, and you earn unlimited 2x miles on all other purchases. Plus, receive a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts.